Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We sing hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. You know what hallelujah means? It means praise the Lord. And it means from our hearts, God is worthy of praise. It means we recognize who God is. And God is good. I'm not, <laughs> not without him. I'll tell you a secret, and it, there's another secret about it. You're not good, and the other secret about it is everybody knows. <laughs> You're not good without him. But here's the good news. You were made by him. And when he made you, he said about you what he said about everything that he made. He called you good. And he called you to be good. To be perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. Boy, that's a tall order, isn't it? I, I don't know who else can raise their hand and say, I'm less than perfect. I think that's everybody. I think that's all of us. And yet we serve a God who's calling us to that. But he doesn't call us to that in a way that puts this burden upon us that we can't bear, although it does put a certain burden upon us, puts the burden of a cross upon us, our own cross, because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. But the wonderful thing about your cross and mine is that our crosses have already been borne by Jesus the Christ, so that now, by identifying with him, we can find the goodness of God available to us. Let me put it in simpler terms because it's through the cross of Christ that this reality is realized. And it's this, simply this. God calls you to be good and enables you to be good through Christ. But each one of us, we recognize we fall short of that measure. We fall short of that standard. And so we fall on our knees before the throne of grace, coming boldly, even as the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, boldly to a throne of grace where we can be covered by the cross of Christ, where we can be cleansed by the blood of Christ, where we can be, hallelujah, healed by the power of Christ. And where we are called and compelled to a mission, a common cause, a great co-mission with Christ. You know, one thing I've found about the Lord is when he does one thing, he does many things. And so if he's like that and I'm called to be like him, then why shouldn't I do that too? So I'm beginning a sermon, but I'm also making a reminder, and that is, for those of you who are part of the Praise School of Ministry, today we're going to talk about the Great Commission as we come to the conclusion of our six weeks studying in the fundamentals of faith. Now, I'm saying that, A, as a reminder to members of the class, and I'm going to just say this because it's no, uh, it's no compliment to myself. It's more a, a reality, a recognition of what God's doing. It's been a great class. We have wonderful people in it. We have a good God teaching us by his spirit, by his word, and we've been exploring together the fundamentals of what it means to be followers of Jesus 
and it's been a wonderful time. I just want to let you know, if you haven't been part of that class, you can still be part of that process, and you should be, because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to press in, into the word of the Lord, into the way of the Lord, into the things of God, and let the Lord press the things of God into you. Let him impress you with the kingdom so that you can present the kingdom and all its good news to the world. So on October 18th, which is what? I think that's three weeks from today. If, I, if my mind is still working, I'm getting older, but you know the brain hopefully is still functioning at that level. October 18th, we're going to start up our final session of Praise School of Ministry for this year. Now, I, I should mention on October 17th, on that Saturday, we're going to have a PSOM class starting as well. Sister Tammy, Tammy Goodman, our registrar for PSOM and one of our wonderful instructors and one of the beloved brethren of our body and one of our leaders is going to be teaching on spiritual warfare. Hey, let's just pause for a moment and say, that's a timely topic, right? You know, we spent together as a church a whole season of sermon series in Ephesians this year, and particularly in Ephesians chapter 6 and talking about putting on the whole armor of God. So we are well aware that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. Would that our world could recognize that reality. And you and I, we are to be bearers of that message, that our enmity is not with people, regardless of what their political persuasion is. Good heavens, regardless of what their skin tone is, my God, can we not move beyond a place in which our racial identity divides us from one another. I'm not saying that anyone should deny who they are. Praise God for who you are. But guess what? Every other person around you, no matter what the color of their skin, the language of their tongue, or the nation of their origin, is made in the image of God. Let's celebrate that truth. And don't let anyone divide us along those lines. And if you are dividing people on those lines, then stop it. In the name of God, stop that. There is nothing about who you are in your ethnic identity, your nation of origin, the language that you speak, that should ever make you ashamed of who you are, God forbid, or dismissive of any other person. We need unity in these days, and it's not to be found in the world. The philosophies of the world won't provide it but the fundamentals of faith in Christ will. So come be a part of fundamentals of faith. It's not just a class, my friends. It's a way of life. It's a call to hear from the Lord and to live in him in these very trying times. Now, maybe you're not available on Sunday afternoons from 1 to 3 p.m. Maybe you're not available on Saturdays when... Sister Tammy's going to be teaching on spiritual warfare. But if you wanted to participate in the class and you're not available at those times, contact us. Go to mypcf.org. Click on the PSOM page. Email us at info at mypcf.org. We'll find a way to loop you into that process. And if, indeed, you've already been through PSOM, you can still participate. There are new things. These are new classes. We haven't offered these classes before, but they are rooted in the ancient and always living word of God, so they'll be valuable to you. But even if you have work obligations or something else that makes it an impracticality, I mean, the most important thing is, is God calling me to that particular class? 
the Lord is certainly calling you to somewhere where you are connected, a Bible study, a small group, somewhere where you're going to develop your understanding of the Word beyond where it always is, or already is. You may have a lot of experience reading the Word. You may not have any. It doesn't necessarily mean that you don't take a class because you've already taken ones before. And it certainly shouldn't mean that you don't take one because you've never taken one before. What it means is we should all be growing in order to be going in the mission to which God is calling us. So choose today who it is that you serve and how it is that you will follow him. But recognize this, when Christ calls you, he calls you with all the glorious goodness of who he is and what he has to offer, but he calls you to the cross. So it doesn't come without a price. The greater price has already been paid, but he wants you and I to recognize that our lives, all of them, not part of them, but all of them belong to him. If you are in for a penny with Jesus, you are in for a pound. You're in all the way. And I guess that's the big point of today's message. Will you choose once again today who it is that you serve? If you belong to God, then everything you are, everything you have, and everything you're living for has to be rooted in him. It's like what Brother Gabe was saying earlier during the worship. There's a total kind of commitment. And often worship is the environment in which you and I recognize that that commitment, even though we may intellectually think we've made it, or you know, maybe you're a guest today, maybe you're somebody just catching this stream either live or you're watching a recording and you're thinking, well, I never really have given my life to the Lord or I really never have made that decision or I made it a long time ago, but I've walked in a lot of different ways. Well, once again, the question arises today, who do you serve? Who made you? Where do you come from? And what are you for? The answer to that is God. And if you believe that, it's time to double down on that. It's time to invest all your eggs in the basket of the kingdom and choose this day whom you will serve. It's the end of our sermon series on the book of Joshua, a new beginning. But as we come to chapter 24, we talk about a sacred end. Because what began with a new, fresh generation also comes to a conclusion. Just like your life and mine, there's a number of days that we have appointed to us to live. And when Joshua, that great man of God, whose very name is the same name that our Savior bears, Joshua and Jesus are two forms of the same name. Like John or Juan, they are one name in different tongues to reflect this reality that across all the tribes and tongues of humanity, there's one name that saves. And Joshua is a name that means salvation comes from God. And so at the end of his days, that great leader of old of ancient Israel called all the people of Israel together and said to them, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray as we come to the word of God. Joshua chapter 24. Lord, we ask that you would present to us yourself today in such a way
even as we present ourselves to you today, that we would meet. You're holy, Lord God. If we're going to be honest at all with ourselves and with you, we've got to recognize you're holy beyond anything we can even really conceive. You're perfect and pure to a degree that is so powerful and mighty that it really is frightening and scary. But your perfection is love. Love is your perfection. Even as your word says, you are love. Justice and mercy have met in you. Grace, that is your name, Lord God. So we come before you today with everything that we are, everything we think and everything we've said and done. And in doing that, we come before you with repentance. But also with faith, with hope, because you have given us your only begotten Son as a Savior to us. What precious blood has flowed over us, over our lives. What Holy Spirit beckons us now to come and talk with you. We come on our knees. We come on our face. We come, Lord, with humility. We come with confidence that you would receive us today. And we come that we might know and serve you today. We choose you today, Lord. We choose you because it turns out that from ages past, you already chose us. And we thank you for it in your mighty name. The Joshua generation, a new beginning and a sacred end. Before I talk about the final chapter of this book, I want to share with you something that I saw two and a half months ago. For those of you who are part of the congregation on a regular basis, I want to say thank you because you enabled my family and I to take a vacation earlier this year, and that was something we didn't really anticipate doing. In the midst of COVID-19 and everything else that 2020 has brought to bear in our world, we kind of rode off vacation, although I'll tell you something ironic. The Lord had said to me, even before the end of last year, because I didn't take a formal vacation last year, and it wasn't by design, it was just busyness. I'll bet you can relate. I'll bet your life is every bit as busy as mine, or probably more so, and you can relate to the reality that sometimes, even if you have the opportunity to, to, to take a vacation, and even though you'd like to take a rest, you're just so busy that you don't do it. But you know, the Lord in His Word instructed us that one day out of every seven, we're supposed to be taking a Sabbath. Do you? And beyond that, the Word also extrapolates that idea out. And it's something that God did. So it's no, it's no hindrance to productivity because Jesus himself said, my Father and I have never stopped working. So the Sabbath is not just the cessation of work. In fact, it's part of the project. It's the pause that enables the music to play. I like to make this comparison. A vacation, a time of rest, a time of Sabbath, 
is like a, a rest in a piece of music. If you read music, then you probably understand this analogy better than I do because I'm no music aficionado, but the reality is that music has rests in it. And if you take the rests out, you change the entire composition. Or maybe you're a mathematical person, also not my forte, but you m will probably readily recognize this reality, that the number zero, which is, I guess, no number at all, but it's kind of a magic number, it makes all kinds of other higher mathematical properties and principles and practices possible. So there is the need for a space that provides value. That little dot, if you're here in America and you use the decimal point the way we do, that you place on a check or on a deposit makes all the difference, right? If you put the dot after one zero, it changes the value than whether it's after two or three zeros. And a Sabbath rest is like that. It adds value to your life. It increases productivity, not just in some abstract, arcane, metaphysical way, but because in coming to the place of rest, if it is indeed a Sabbath time, if it is really a sabbatical, you're coming face to face with God. And that's what happened for me on July 14, 2020. The morning dawned hot. It was a summer day. And even up in Oregon, which is northward of us, and I was expecting cooler temperatures, the reality was in an inland climate there in Medford, it was warm. We had had a tough day on the road the day before. It was the very day that all of California had shut down again. In fact, when we stopped in Sacramento just for a bathroom break, well, I won't go into all the details, but I can tell you my family is probably laughing right now as they stream the service live because we spent an hour just trying to find a rest room. And maybe that's something that you can relate to right now, not only for a travel that you might have taken, but just in the larger symbol of your life, trying to find a place of rest and not finding any available place. A few weeks ago, we studied in the book of Joshua about the cities of refuge, and we were reminded that it is God who provides the place of rest. But the world is not beholden to do the things that God does, and so it can be hard to find a refuge in the midst of the storm. And if that's where you're at today, I want to encourage you. The word that I heard from the Lord in Medford in the middle of July of this year, it's a word for you too, and it's a word that will refresh. So we were looking everywhere for something that was very difficult to find, although we did eventually find it. It was, it was a little booth at a construction site that provided us respite. By the way, over the next two weeks, I'm going to be speaking about booths. There's a festival of booths that happens right around this time of year, the high holy days of the fall feasts of Israel. And I'll be talking about how God provides a place, a space for us to be prepared for what is to come, but more on that in weeks to come. Let me simply say this. By the time we arrived in Medford, we were all tired, and we were looking forward to a time of rest in a place provided for us by dear, dear friends, so very generous, who had offered to us a vacation home where we could hunker down and meet with the Lord and have times of refreshing with them and and uh, in our own spirit up in the Pacific Northwest. But that, that first full day of the vacation, I was feeling wearied already. Hours on the road, 
our tough hours. And I don't need to belabor the point for you. You'll understand what that's like. Most all of us have taken a road trip. But once again, I want to make the parallel to wherever you're at today. Because you're on a road today that you've been on longer than you probably anticipated. And it feels like that, that moment when you're driving and you're thinking, I'm just looking for a rest stop, a place to pause. But where is that place? And it's in the Lord. I went out walking that morning in the glory of that summer sun, and I saw something so beautiful. This is Bear Creek, Bear Creek Park in Medford, Oregon. I'd never been there before, but what a delightful thing to find just uh, half a mile from our hotel. And so on my own, I went walking. I listened to the word of the Lord during my daily devotion time, which is my practice. I was out walking and praying. I was listening to worship music. And I was feeling the refreshing that is unlike anything else because it only comes from God. Can I just pause and encourage you that if that's not part of your daily practice, you are giving up one of the greatest things in life, which is just to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, which is just to have time with Him. And you might say, well, Pastor Court, you don't recognize that my schedule doesn't allow for that. And I'm going to say to you, dear one, dear beloved brother or sister, your schedule will allow whatever you determine to put into it. I'm not saying it will be easy, but I can guarantee you it's possible. And the reality is that if you will invest in time with the Lord, God will invest in you. Would you like that? You would. There's nothing else like it. So take the time to give time to God and let the Lord speak to you through his word and by his spirit so that he can refresh your soul and give you guidance that you might walk a path that takes you to a sacred end. This is the little road that I was walking that day, and I was just enjoying the beauty of it. Manganda, it's beautiful, isn't it? And I was glorying in the beauty of natural creation and appreciating the time of refreshing that you all had afforded me and that God had called, in my, called my family and I to. And as I turned a corner, I saw something totally unexpected. Now, maybe you don't even see it in this picture that's in front of you, but there happens to be a little pile of rocks here. And it's a very particular pile, isn't it? Because it's not anything that would have happened naturally. Clearly, someone has placed one rock on top of the other. Now, that means something to me. It means something to me because in my study of the word, I've recognized that that is frequently the way that the people of God in ancient times built an altar. In fact, God had often said to them in the earliest days, I want you to make an altar of unhewn rock. That is stone that hasn't been carved or cut by human hands. It's really a way of God reflecting, I want you to come and meet with me, not on the basis of your artistry and expertise and intelligence and everything you've accomplished, but I want you to come raw, just as you are. And I'll meet with you there because I'm the one who made the rocks and the wind and the waves. And I'm the one, says the Lord, who made you. And I care about you. And I want to meet with you. And I want you to set a place 
in the perimeter of your life that is dedicated to me. An altar where you can be offered to me and where I will offer myself to you. An altar for the ages. A place that will sustain. An altar that offers an encounter that will alter you. The Apostle Paul wrote about it this way in the book of Romans, chapter 12. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that occurs when you give yourself as a living sacrifice, which is really all that God has asked of you. God calls you and I to be perfect, and you say, I can't do that. And God says, I know. All I'm asking you is to put yourself on the table. God is like a surgeon who says, I'm not asking you to perform the surgery. Stop trying to heal yourself. Come to the great physician, and I will heal you. I will make you whole, but give yourself to me. So when I saw these rocks on that road along Bear Creek in Medford, Oregon, I saw the Lord. I heard a voice of the Spirit, not an audible voice, but a recognizable inclination within my inner being that said, listen, it it makes me want to weep right now to realize it. It was the Lord saying, I've prepared a place to meet with you. Well, that's what today is. That's what this message is. Friend, the Lord has prepared a place to meet with you. And it's right here. And it's right now, this day. So choose it. Press in. I came closer to that altar. Won't you come closer to it now also? And I looked at it, and I saw that clearly there was a stone sitting there on top that reminded me of what I remember Jacob doing in the book of Genesis when he fell asleep in a place and the Lord encountered him in his dreams. And Jacob woke up and said, I'm going to name this place Bethel, Bethel the house of God in his language, because surely God was in this place and I didn't even know it. And I want to let you know, and the Spirit of the Lord would let you know right now, God is in your place. Whether you know it or not, whether you've felt it or not, God is with you right now. He's never forsaken you. But he's calling you to something higher and better Something holy. I walked up to the rocks and the tears were already in my eyes just to know that God cared. And I saw something written on them. I took these photos because I want you to know this was real. It really happened. Now someone will say, okay, I see what's written here. Do you see it in white letters on this stone rock? Home stretch with an arrow. Probably there was some kind of run, some marathon or municipal run. I don't know. I could probably go and look it up. And this was the home stretch for that run. Or I don't know if somebody just had an idea that this was the particular piece of graffiti that spoke to them. All I know is when I saw those words, the Lord said to me, that message is for you, Courtney. And it's for the flock that I've called you to serve in my name. It's for PCF. It's for you, brothers and sisters. But if you're 
hearing this message, if it's reaching you any which way, today or any day, the message is for you. You say, well, how, how do you know? How can you say that? Because I'm the messenger who heard it from the Lord, that any who would hear this word and would receive it, they can apply it. It's for you. And the message is this. Prepare yourself for the home stretch. The home stretch, if you're in a run, is the last part. And it's the hardest part. Because you're weary. Because you've been running. Because you can't see the end. Why would there need to be a message if the end itself wasn't obscured? If you could see the finish line, you'd run to the finish line. But this message only comes to you when the finish line isn't yet visible, but you know it's there. And the message is saying, keep going. But not just anywhere. There's an arrow to say, keep going this way. Follow this path. Because if you run back where you came from, that's not the home stretch. And if you run off in any other direction, that ain't the home stretch. There's one road you've got to follow if you're going to run the race to win the prize. It's the way Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 3. It's the way that the author of the book of Hebrews talks about it in Hebrews chapter 12. It's the way God talks about it to you and I today. He's saying, make yourself ready. This isn't so much about chronology because I don't know your home stretch and I don't even necessarily know my home stretch, but I will tell you this. I just had a birthday in the last couple of weeks, and I'm getting older. Well, you are too. When I saw this, what I recognized is the thing that nobody ever really can convey to you when you're young, but you only ever realize at some point, and I think it's probably somewhere around 40, but it may be different for everybody. You suddenly realize, I'm the same person I always ever was. You know, that little kid is still in inside of me, right? But somehow my life is flowing away. Old age comes up to us in ways that we are not prepared for. And I recognize that what God was saying to me was, you have less time remaining, most likely anyway, than you've already had. And that time is precious. I'm not being morbid here, and I'm not afraid. And in fact, it encourages me. Because what the Lord is saying is make the days count. The scripture says, teach us to number our days. Why? So that we could gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, so that we would live well. The point of a message like this is to run the race well. Now, there was something else on that rock that impressed me. Can you see it? I don't know if you can see it. It's there in the cleft of the rock. I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy in a lot of ways. I grew up singing the hymns. I really miss that, by the way. I like to inject a hymn, a traditional hymn now and then, because they have such great doctrine and they say such great things, and because my heart is won over by them. But there was a hymn that many of you are going to be familiar with that says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Water and the blood are in that rock and in that word. Look what is in the cleft of that rock. I don't know who put it there. I don't know why. 
There could be the craziest reason whatsoever or the most mundane that any mind could think of. But the reality is God said, I put that grape there to show you my sacrifice abides and my fruit will remain. There was a grape there, the fruit of the vine that said to me, in the cross of Christ and the flowing of his blood, in the cup of communion that you and I will partake of together next week, in the reality of what God has given to us of all of the life of his son is all the cleansing of our sin and all the sealing of our souls that enables you and I to live our lives towards a sacred end, a holy purpose. I saw that grape. I, I sensed the presence of the Lord in that place. And I fell to my knees and wept. And I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of that. I'm grateful to God that he would enable me a moment like that. I came back to the hotel room and cried in front of my family, which probably made them feel awkward and weird the way it would you. But you know what? God is so good that you can't hold it in. And there was a powerful message for me, for them, for you. And that message was threefold. One, the Lord is saying to you and I today, in the context of this wonderful comfort of his assuring presence, that he's prepared a place, that he's made the sacrifice, that he is calling us to him, he's saying, now, I want you to stop thinking about yourself and think about others. And he's saying that to me and you, not, not just you. This isn't Pastor Courtney preaching to you about what a wayward flock you are. You're a blessed flock. I wish I could put my love for you into words, but I'll let the Spirit of the Lord put it in your heart instead. But his love for you is greater than mine could ever be. My love for you is born from him. But the reality is, this isn't me telling you what you are supposed to do. It's him telling us what we are meant to be, what we are meant to be about. Ask what you can do for the family of God. Ask what you can do for the church. You know, this isn't a message that I think gets heard a lot in our contemporary society because we think of church as an organization and we think of it primarily in terms of how much does that organization agree with me rather than how am I being formed and shaped by my being participant as part of the body of Christ. But when you study the word and you yield to the Lord and you receive of the spirit, what you will recognize is God has saved us so that we can serve one another. And in serving one another, we give our right devotion to him. Over and over and over again, this book, and especially the letters to the body of Christ in the New Testament, but also the laws to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, over and over are about this. Do unto others as you would have done to you. If you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And it is within the body of Christ that we are particularly meant to equip one another. You know, that's part of why the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which is also what we're talking about, not only in today's PSOM class, but the whole focus of that class that is starting on October 18th, Fundamentals of Faith 2, is all about living in the Spirit, in the fullness of the Spirit. It's about Spirit-filled living. And you and I cannot equip one another of our own because we can't even equip ourselves that way. We need the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will give us to one another. Ask what you can do to serve the family of faith. 
Of course, God also asks us to serve the world at large. And that is very important. But you know, the family of God is the servant to the world. And so within the family of faith, we are meant to equip and encourage and support and nurture one another so that the body as a whole can reach out to the world. So I'm not calling you not to care for your neighbors in the house to the right or left of you who aren't fellow Christian believers. Of course I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is don't neglect the family of faith in God. Don't neglect the assembling of one another. Well, that's been hard in these days, but electronic assembling is assembly. I'm grateful to God for our Zoom meetings on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And if you can't be there every week, be there one week. And if you can't be there any week because of your job or something that's really unmovable in the eyes of the Lord, then pray. Your prayer connects us. Be a part of our online streaming services. But I also want to let you know, starting next week, October 4th, we're going to begin to meet on Sunday mornings in person again outside. We're not at this point allowed, and I don't personally think it's probably advisable for us to meet indoors at this time, but we can meet outdoors. From 8.30 to 9.30 a.m., we're going to have a worship hour at PCF on the patio. You've got to wear a mask. You're going to have your temperature taken. If your temperature is elevated, we're going to ask you respectfully that you not attend. If you have symptoms or real reason to believe that you've been exposed or may even have COVID-19, then obviously, even though we trust in the Lord and His healing power and grace, we also trust you to be wise and gracious and considerate. So don't come if that's the condition. But you can come if you're feeling well and you have no reason to believe you're infected and you're willing to have your temperature taken and put on your mask, then come and be part of the worship. Now, it's not going to be able to be the full body gathering because we simply don't have enough space because we are going to observe six-foot distancing at least for a while. But we can accommodate 20 or 25 people. Maybe that means that not every week will there be enough room for you, but you could come at least periodically. And we will continue to stream at 10 a.m. So turn to the person next to you and say, next week, in person, 8.30, online, 10 a.m. Next week, in person, 8.30, online, 10 a.m. Yeah, that's that. you're right, I'm promoting why not? This is the house of the Lord. Let's promote getting together. Amen? And I look forward to seeing many of you again that I haven't gotten to see. But I thank you for those of you who are participating so strongly, even from a distance. And it may be that you're in a particular condition or in a class in which you feel concerned. I mean, by virtue of your age or your chronic conditions or whatever, that it wouldn't be wise for you to come. I invite you to pray to the Lord and ask him for his grace. It's important for us to be willing to be bold in these days, but also to be wise. Uh, bold in the spirit, wise in the mind that God gives us. So if it's not the right timing for, timing for you to come, don't worry about that. There's no judgment. Uh, we love you, and we're glad that we're connecting with you online. So we'll continue in both of these avenues in days to come. But don't neglect the assembly together. Don't neglect the giving to God, and I'm grateful for the giving that many of you continue to do in your tithes and offerings, and don't neglect those in need around you. Ask what you can do for the family, and then the Lord says, seek me daily for what I would have you to do and to be. Seek me daily, not just once and then you move on. You know, a sign like this is one that says, while you're on the road, while you're running the race, while you're on the path, you need a reminder. And here is the place, friends, where you can seek the Lord daily. 
in his word. It will make a dramatic and demonstrable difference in your life. Where are you at in your reading of the word now? Did you uh, set a plan and have you kept with it? This isn't some school marm trying to say, now remember, read your Bible. This is a brother saying to you, there's bread here for the hungry. There's a balm in Gilead to anoint the afflicted. There's a sword here to cut through the chains of the bound. There's a scalpel here to perform the surgery for those who are suffering and ill. There is wisdom, guidance, peace. The Lord is here. This word is active and alive because the spirit of the Lord is alive in it. How about time where you're not just reading the word of God, but you're listening for it? Do you have that? Time where God can speak to you. You say, oh, I've never heard from God. You will. Come and meet with him. Make an altar in your home. It can be a rocks. It can simply be the couch and from 9 to 10 a.m. or 5 to 6 a.m. or 7 to 8 p.m., whatever it is. You can do it 3 to 4 a.m. Whatever works for you and him. He'll be there whenever you need. But make a place. Have a prayer closet. Have a place. Maybe it's walking around your home. Maybe it's the park down the street. But you know there's a place where you can meet with God. Put your phone down for a moment. Turn off the screen. And turn on your soul. Let God speak to you. Daily. He'll show you who he is. And in seeing him, you'll discover who you are and what he wants you to do and how to run the home stretch. Can I ask you something? I know it's kind of a pet question of mine, but how long do you have left? You might be young. You might be, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 years old. You might think, I've got a long time. That's not promised. By God's grace, may you have a long time, but use it well. But I'll tell you what, even if you've got 80 years, even if technology advances and you've got 100 years, 120 out ahead of you, you'll be surprised how fast they go. And the way our world is going, I'm not sure our world has that long left, but it might. And it might have much longer than that, but you've got to recognize something. If you're around in it for that long, you've got a lot of problems barreling down your way. Because this world is a world of problems. And they don't get better until they get God. This world also is a world that is running a race toward a reckoning. I don't know the day or the hour, but I know that God has a home stretch for all creation. And I don't know how God calculates that, but it's enough for me to know God says, you're in the home stretch, so choose this day whom you will serve. In the final minutes remaining to me, I want to talk a little bit about Joshua chapter 24. We don't have time to read all of it, but you can read it this week. But I do want to come to some culminating thoughts 
about what this series has meant for you and I, what this book continues to mean for us. It's a book about a new beginning that involves entering into a promised land that God had said, I'll give it to you, but there's going to be battles. Well, have you and I experienced battles? We have, right? But we've also experienced blessings. Call those to to mind and remember what God has done. That's what Joshua's final address is about. The whole book is patterned after Joshua's life. After the death of Moses is where the book begins. It's a new generation. But by the time we get to the middle of the book, the middle of the book is delineated by the fact that Joshua has now entered his final days. And when we get to the end of the book, Joshua is very old. We looked last week at the first of the two messages that Joshua gives in the concluding two chapters. And the first one is probably particularly intended for the leaders of Israel. In both Joshua 23 and 24, we are told that Joshua gathers Israel by first gathering the leaders. But the implication seems to be that in Joshua 23, he is speaking specifically to the leaders. And he makes a few points that I just want to remind you of very briefly before we get to uh, the conclusion of today's message. Hold fast to the Lord by loving him and trusting him. Know his word. Avoid the other influences and distractions that are not of God. Keep to his word and God will keep his word for you. That's the promise that Joshua, on behalf of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, reminds and reflects to the leaders of Israel. And then in Joshua 24, he speaks to the whole nation. You may remember that we talked earlier in the series about how Shiloh was the place of the tabernacle, an altar place in the middle of Israel. And yet we're told that in Joshua chapter 24, uh, the leader calls the people together in Shechem. That's a side note of interest to some of you at least, uh, but it's certainly significant to understanding the reality of the audience that Joshua is speaking to in Joshua 24. Shechem is a place where there's a natural amphitheater. In other words, it is a, uh, uh, there's a wide, broad plain there and a kind of a, a, a bowl in the geography of the land at that time that would enable an enormous gathering and recognize this is at a time when obviously there was no uh, electronic amplification. So Joshua needs a place where he can speak to all these assembled people and they can hear him. And a natural uh, kind of geological amphitheater is what Shechem uh, most likely provided. So he gathers the people there. But it is very proximal to the place of the tabernacle. It is considered a holy place itself. It has some other significance that I'll talk about in just a moment. And it's central. It's at the heart of Israel. So God uh, calls all of Israel through the voice of Joshua to this place in the heart of Israel to hear really the message of the Lord that says, choose this day. And in the chapter, there's three primary sections that we can identify. Development. What God has done. Just like Moses did at the end of his days, and the whole book of Deuteronomy is essentially the encapsulation of that sermon. You may remember that in the Moses era, Moses brought the children of Israel right up to uh, the the, the Transjordan area the area east of the promised land, and then gave a sermon to them. And a large part of that sermon was the history of what God has done. This isn't just Old Testament stuff, not that that is in any way diminishing. If you and I are to really understand the word and reckoning and and covenant of God, we should recognize that everything he said from the beginning is connected to everything that is coming at the end. 
But I also want to give you a testimony of a New Testament example of this. The very first martyr, which means witness in the Greek, of the church was a man named Stephen, who in the book of Acts stands before the rulers of Israel. He stands before the Sanhedrin council and gives the history of everything God has done. In our PSOM class, we've been talking about, can you, in a very short and succinct way, summarize the history of the Bible? Can you do that? I'm asking you seriously, can you do that? If you had three minutes, could you summarize the history of what God has done in human history? You should be able to do that. It's actually not that difficult to do. And in fact, if you become familiar with the Word of God and available to the Spirit of God, God, by His Spirit, will in, enable you to give a testimony of what God has done in human history. But perhaps even more powerful than that, you can give the history of what God has done in your own life. It's important, though, that your testimony about what God has done in you is in, in harmony with the testimony of what God has done in his word. And that's part of why we live in this way, pressing towards the alignment of our life with his story. In the second section, decision. So Joshua is saying, hey, look, this is what God has done. See how God made these promises and developed them? It's like negatives developed into finished pictures. I know we live in the digital age, so that may not even have meaning for any of you, but back in my college days when I was a film major, I actually had to develop film manually with all the chemicals. And it's a wonderful process by which you see the invisible becoming visible. The testimony and history of what God has done is latent things that God has laid into creation becoming visible and powerful and beautiful. And after you see that, then there comes a reckoning, a, a, a readiness to make a decision. There's an urgency in the present moment that Joshua presents to his people. And friends, you know it, you feel it. There's an urgency now that you and I would know what God is calling us to do in these days and then dedicate ourselves to doing it. The history of what God has done calls us to the urgency of the present moment and the possibility of a legacy of living for him. Now, come on, i got to say, that's good. Doesn't that sound good to you? You look back at what God has done, not just the wildness of the world, but the wisdom of God in the midst of it. You start to see the grape in the rock. You start to see the light on the path. You start to see the hope in the night. You start to know the truth of the Lord. And it calls you to make a decision. Are you going to serve him or yourself or some other God or some other idea? Because whatever you choose to serve, whether it's him or yourself or something else or even nothing at all, you are laying down track. You are walking a path and there's a pattern behind you. Your footsteps leave marks in the rock of the world. There's a legacy of your living. So, if I had more time, I would take you through these verses, but I want to just pull out some key points as we come to a conclusion. In the first section, when Joshua brings everyone together, there's, a, there's something for you and I to recognize. We do not exist alone. Individualism is important to the heart of God, but people are made for community. This message is not given to isolated people, it's given to integrated people. And God said, I'm the one that made you a people. 
I brought you out of your enslavement. I brought you together. I named you with my name. I made you my own. The history of what God has done, the deliverance of Israel out of slavery, the deliverance you out of whatever bound you, whatever illness you had. Well, maybe there are things, in fact, surely there are things that God has done in your life that you might not even have realized yet, but God was there for you. That's a history that God calls you to look at, to recognize, and to consider in order to make a wise decision about the urgency of the present moment. In Joshua 24, chapter 24, verse 14, he says, fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. But if that doesn't sound good to you, verse 15, and you would rather serve something else, then all right, do it. And now I'm going to say the hard thing. If you're not into Jesus all the way, get out. What? Yeah. Jesus said, I'll spit you out. Check it out. It's in the book of Revelation. Actually, what he said is, I'll puke you out. In the Greek, it's like vomit. Jesus isn't interested in somebody who just wants to walk alongside with him. They need to carry the cross. Your cross. Giving up your right to be whoever you say you are and do whatever you want to do and aligning yourself with who Jesus says he is and you're meant to be and what the Father wants to do. But when you take that cross upon you, what you find is it is in fact the yoke that Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and light. I'll give you rest. But if you're not going to be yoked with him, don't walk next to him because you're not part of him. It's all or nothing. He, he says, all or nothing. So make up your mind. If you're going to keep dipping into the world, then dive into the world. Uh, there's nothing good you're going to find there, but if that's where you're going, then go all the way. Jesus said, I'd rather you were hot or cold, but this lukewarm stuff, ah, page out of Joan Rivers' book there, ah, makes me want to throw up because it's a hypocrisy. It's a fallacy. And it's useless. It doesn't produce the things of God. So God says, choose me. But if you're not going to choose me, be honest about it at least. Choose something else. But Joshua says, listen, you have the freedom to make your choice, but I've made mine. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we don't serve him perfectly. I don't serve him perfectly. I fail all the time. At that rock altar, the Lord said to me, Courtney, will you rededicate your life to me, to the Lord? And I said, yes, I will. Two and a half months, and I don't know how many times I've failed in that rededication. But the thing that the Lord is looking for is not necessarily perfect performance. Because he can transform our performance. What he's looking for is integrity of heart. And that's a challenge for me too, but at least that's something that I know in my heart I can dedicate myself to God. And that's what I've decided to do with my life. I've decided to dedicate it to God. It hasn't come without a cost. The costs he faced 
blow mine out of the water. So mine aren't worth talking about except to say to you, you might be aware of your cost too, and I want you to know there are real, real costs. Life and death kind of costs. But they're worth it. So for me, I've done that. And for PCF, we do that. So take heart in that. Do that. And live for him. And let him live in you. The people said, yeah, Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord too. We'll serve the Lord our God and obey him. Because it's not something you can wait for tomorrow. It's urgent. By the time tomorrow comes, Jesus may come. If not for the world, then for you. Choose this day to live for him. This day, a legacy, a legacy that will last through all days. Look what Joshua did. I'm almost done, I promise. We're in the home stretch. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, yeah, he fit it in one more time. Joshua took a large stone and set it up under an oak tree, a traditional symbol, symbols of God's presence. The holy tree, like from the garden. The holy stone, like from the mountain. And he said, all right, this is an altar. It's a witness, an altar named witness, a record written in rock that you, the people of God, have said, we are living for God. We're dedicating ourselves to him. And in this action, there is a remembrance of things past. Uh, thank you, Marcel Proust. All hats off to him. Joshua chapter 4, do you remember when they crossed through the, the Jordan? The history of what God had developed. He had stopped the waters of the Jordan just like he had stopped the waters uh, of the Red Sea in the Exodus and allowed them to pass through. And when they did, they picked up rocks from the middle of the riverbed and they lined them up as an altar on the shore to remind them of what God has, had done and to remind them that they belonged to the Lord. And we just a few weeks ago in Joshua chapter 22 saw the altar of witness also on the shore of the Jordan when the tribes of the Transjordan had set up an, a rock altar and said, this is a witness between us. We are united and we're united in God and we will worship the Lord no matter where we go. And after all of this, Joshua dismissed the people to their own inheritance and there's a final epilogue. In the epilogue, we're told that Joshua dies a peaceful death, having run his home stretch at 110 years old. And we are told also of the uh, conclusion of the high priest of Israel. Uh, and we are also told that the bones of Joseph are buried there. In Genesis chapter 50 and in Exodus 13, there are passages in which we are told that Joseph said, please bury my bones when you come back to the land of my father's. In other words, there's a promise about even with great distance and great time, God never forgets. God will bring you home. God will bring you home. In Genesis chapter 33, Jacob, Israel, had made an, a stone altar there. The very same place in Shechem. He'd camped there and he made an altar and he called it El Elohoi. Yisrael, which means mighty is the God of Israel. In other words, throughout the ages, 
this testimony continues. And there's a development of destiny in the things of the Lord. We've come to the end of Joshua, of chapter 24, of this series in the second half of Joshua, in the extended series that we've participated in over the last two years of the entire book of Joshua. We haven't hardly come to the end of the meaning of it, though. Next year, God willing, if you're around and I'm around, we're going to study together in the book of Judges. And Judges 1 begins where Joshua 24 leaves off. So we will develop that further. But this day, I want to talk to you about the development and the decision and the dedication that God would call from you today. What is in your life the history of what God has done for you? Here it is. We're at the end, and I'm calling you prayerfully to consider these questions. What has God done in your life? Many of you, especially those of you who are part of the family of faith, who are part of the followers of Jesus, have a long list that's running through your mind. It's like the credits at the end of a modern movie. Wow, look at all the things that God has done. Wow, look at all the people that God has brought into my life that have blessed me, and he's been a part of it. Look at the healings. Look at the provision. Look at the salvation. If you can't think of anything else, but you know the Lord, think of that. Some of you think, I don't think God's done anything for me. Friend, he saved you out of the pit of eternal damnation, which is a real thing. That alone would be enough to praise God for, for all eternity, but really, he's done so much more than that. But maybe you're someone who, as I've said before, you're not immediately familiar with what God's been doing in your life. I want to tell you something. Right now, the Holy Spirit would put into your heart and into your mind things that you maybe never thought of before, but you suddenly begin to realize, God's been with me. He's been watching out for me. This week, as I was walking around my neighborhood, I saw a man passed out on the street on a sidewalk, 11 p.m. I was walking along the sidewalk just to get my exercise in for the day, and here was a young guy, probably somewhere between 25 to 35 well-dressed, in good health, and completely passed out. I didn't. I thought he was maybe dead. I, I, I came up to him and I said, are you okay? Do you need help? It took me a while to rouse him. Well, you might not be surprised to hear that ultimately it turned out that he was just passed out and a blind drunk. I don't know where he had been drinking. I don't know why he was alone, but somehow he passed out on that street. And ultimately, I ended up walking with him to the place where his apartment was, which was fairly nearby, just so I could be sure that he got home safe. And I mentioned to him as we were walking, I said, you know, I think that it's not a coincidence that God put you in my path. I think God's watching out for you. He said, do you think so? I said, yeah. And then I said to him what he probably was not necessarily eager to hear in that moment. I said, as a matter of fact, I'm a minister. How can I be praying for you? Listen, I don't judge him. You might be surprised to hear this, but I've passed out drunk in public before in my history, back in my 20s. So I'm embarrassed to say that. It's a shameful, horrible thing, but I did. So I may as well not hide that, right? And maybe you have moments like that too. Listen, God's been watching out for you a long time. Even when you were in your mother's womb, he formed you and made you. What's the history of what God's done for you? It's good. And on the basis of that, on the basis of his love for you, what today in your world is urgent in his eyes? There's so many things that you and I might be praying about or concerned about, and well that we should pray. 
praying over the political process and appointments of judges, praying over our society and the restoration and establishment of justice, praying for harmony among the peoples, praying for deliverance from illness, praying for protection from natural disasters. But what would God say is number one in your life? And I want to tell you, I'm going to take privilege from the Lord and say, if you haven't given yourself wholly to him, that's more important than anything. If you were in a triage unit, you were in the ER, and you came in there with a blood, blood wound, you know, a gunshot wound, and you're bleeding out, your femoral artery or your aorta has been pierced. Somebody might say, you know what? He needs to be fed. Somebody might say his clothes are dirty, or she needs gas in her car. And all of those things are valuable and valid. But you know what? If you're bleeding out, you need life. Nothing is more important than that. So let the resuscitation of the Holy Spirit come to you today. Give yourself over to God. No one else can save you but God because life is in the Lord and there's only one way to that life. And Jesus said, it's me. Here I am. That you would know the path, that you would see the message that says, I am here for you. But wherever you may be at and whatever you're dealing with, if you're someone who's already given your life to the Lord, there's probably urgent things in your life as well. God will meet whatever your need is. God will heal whatever your problem is or will enable you by his strength to sustain in the midst of it. But you've got to hear from him. Seek him. Ask him, what is my prayer focus for today? What's my home stretch pathway so that in my home stretch, I can live out the legacy of my Lord? What is the legacy of your life in Christ? What is it that you are going to leave for those who come after you? Every choice you make, every word you say, every act you take, every thought you think, the Lord knows. And he's interested in what's it about? Who is it for? choose today. If you want to live for him, you can't on your own. You need him, you need us. But if you want to live for him in the body of Christ, the spirit of the Lord will put you on the pathway for a lasting legacy in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are our hope and our sure reward. We thank you for everything that you've done. Once again, Lord, we confess our sin to you and thank you for your forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, that you would receive us fully and wholly and totally today as a living sacrifice unto you and that you would equip us for tomorrow and whatever may come in the future that however long we live in this world, as long as we live in this world, we would live for you. But we're not able, Lord, to hold true to that, even like the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 24 who said, we will do this, and yet successive generations didn't. We in our own lives have experienced that same failing. But we believe this, Lord, that all things are possible for you. So we ask, and I'm, I'm going to say, friend, if you're praying with me, just lift your hands up to the Lord right now. Physically do that. It'll make a difference. It makes a difference. Lift your hands up to the Lord, ready to receive something. And then say these words, Lord Jesus, 
I give my life to you. I give my soul to you. I give my mind to you. I give my past to you, my present to you, my future to you. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to run the race that you have called me to run and to receive the prize that you have called me to receive. Keep me faithful, Lord.